Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Brad Davidson Show. Today I want to dive a little deeper into what I view as the the deeper meaning of fitness. And this uh, goes pretty deep for me. And I just want to kind of share my personal journey with this, the struggles I've had with it, the things I've overcome, the things I see, in hopes maybe it'll connect with you a little bit. But uh, this week would have been my dad's 69th birthday. So uh, it's been on my mind a lot. Uh, lots of memories coming through social media, which is phenomenal. And I, I came across a letter that I received from him a few years ago. I, I was <clears throat> doing this program, uh, Driven, uh, Driven for Life. Uh, Eric and Mary McGrath are just amazing people, put it on, and uh, just incredible experience. But in one of the processes, I, I received a letter from multiple people just talking about the greatness I see in you is. And then my dad was one of the people who sent one in and wrote this whole letter on the greatness he sees in me. And it was um, incredible to experience. I love to read it. <clears throat> and actually, I've written letters from my kids in case I pass away anytime. They will have that same experience that I got from him. And, and I know he would have never done it without the prompt from, from that organization. So I'm so thankful to them as well. <clears throat> but it's funny, in that letter, I, I made a When I was younger, I still, I'm very ambitious. I have very big goals and and. I, I made this promise to him that I was going to do this one thing. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. Still don't quite know how I'm going to do it, but I, I, I told him that I was going to do this. And, and he brought it up in that letter. And he goes, you know, I know if anybody can do it, it'll be you. And throughout the letter, he also said, and I thought this was incredible that he had this much strength to say, there is one weakness I see in you. Um, and that'll be the only weakness that'll hold you back. So, I just pray that you'll have the strength to attack that weakness and overcome it. And, you know, that's between me and him. But um, it was that one thing where I was like, oh, hell no. Like, that's the scariest thing in the world. I don't know how I'd ever deal with that. And uh, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to face it. But I knew it was right. And it came up over and over in my life. And, and you know, I went through six years of just pure hell where my, my life was completely disintegrated. Everything was taken away from me. And then I was left with nothing but to face this thing. And what I had realized in that process is that I was afraid to be the true authentic person that I am. And I was afraid to share that with the world because I didn't think it was enough. I didn't think it was worthy. And so everything I was doing in my life was building up around that, trying to create this facade of who I thought the world wanted me to be. I thought I had to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, to hit all these things, the society says, okay, now you're a man, now you're worthwhile. And um, I, I see a lot of people using the same strategy with fitness. They're, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it to try to create this worthy look for the world so they'll be loved, they'll be admired, they'll be you know, worthwhile. And I had that. I, st- I still do. I'm still fighting it. But um. It's, it's just thinking about my dad and this thing and this letter and fitness. Like I'm in the fitness world. Like how do I correlate these thoughts that I'm having to fitness? And, and, and I want to start with here is that, you know, my dad had this muscle wasting disease and he couldn't stop it. He couldn't control it. It just slowly over time took all his strength and muscle away. I'm pretty sure I think it was about the last five years of his life. He's pretty much stuck in a wheelchair. He could really feed himself and, and lift a cup up. And that was pretty much it. It was pretty horrific to watch. And I, I grew up in a world, I just saw this post come through, the 10 most dangerous jobs in the world uh, that have the most deaths per 100,000 people that do it. And 
You know, eight of the 10 jobs are the jobs that my dad and, and all my friends' dads had. So we grew up in a world of kind of manly men. Like they did hard things. They did scary things. They never complained. I mean, shoot, my dad built the house we grew up in with his own two hands, just manly men. And so watching him go from this really strong, um, self-driven, self-motivated, could take care of anything type of man to the point where he couldn't take care of anything was really hard to watch. And I know I showed you in the past that he told me that the one thing he wished he could do was have one more day to play basketball. But there was something else he shared with me. Damn, it's going to be tough. Um, <clears throat> he said, you know, I'm really afraid that my grandchildren aren't going to remember me because I can't get on the floor and play with them. Why the hell can't I just have enough strength to get on the floor to play with my grandkids? He's like, I watch so many people take for granted their bodies. He goes, I would give anything to be able to go work out, to have some strength, just to get on the floor to play with my grandkids. And I'm so afraid they're not going to remember who I am because I can't do that. That one hit me hard. Because what I realized was that for the longest time, I was using fitness to change how I look to try to find worthiness in the world. If I was just more muscular, if I was just lean, if I just looked better, my life would be better. And so my whole obsession was just that. And what I learned was that no matter how great I looked, that problem was never solved. That lack of worthiness was never solved. And I abused the hell out of my body for years. And I pay the price now. Because <laughs> of that, that mentality of what I did back then, it was not about how well can I take care of my body? How well can I move my body? It was not about that. It was how whatever the hell it takes to look a certain way, I will do. I don't care what the consequences are. I care now. I wish I could go back and change that. You know, my whole mindset has changed after I lost my dad. I've been through all this stuff, realizing that I don't really care what I look like. I care about how well I can move. I care about how well I can show up. I just listened to a podcast. I can't remember who it was, but the guy said something that hit me. He said, you know, when we're younger, we want to show off. When we get older, we just want the ability to show up. And that's what I want. I want to be able to show up for my kids, for the people I love, to be present, to engage, to play with every facet that I can. Knowing that my dad was so scared that his grandkids wouldn't remember him because he couldn't get out and play with them. I, I, want, to, I want to honor that and, and fight to be able to do that as long as I can for my children, for my grandchildren, for the people I'm, I, that I... That I'm, I, I, I'm responsible in life, that I'm engaged with in life, that I love in life. And I, I see so many people abusing the hell out of themselves to change how they look, thinking that if it were just to happen, if they could just get to that magical, whatever it is, that number, that body percentage, all of a sudden they'll be worthwhile. And, and I'm sorry, but it's a fleeting thing. And even knowing what I know, I still get wrapped up in my head with it sometimes. Um, prior to my whole world falling apart, I weighed about 190 pounds and then I dropped down to 160 and kind of just was all over the place over a six year period. And I remember thinking if I could just get back to 190, everything'd be great. And I don't know why, I don't know why I had that. I don't know why we have this like magical number on the scale. If I just get to that weight, I didn't even know what I thought my life would be better at, but I thought, okay, then I know I'm in a better place and I'm back there. (laughs) And I was caught myself looking in the mirror the other day. I started nitpicking myself. I'm like, holy hell, I got to the magical number and here I am looking in the mirror and I'm nitpicking myself. I started buying off on this whole idea of looks matter most. 
And reality is nobody gives a shit how I look. My kids don't care. The people in my life, they don't care. They care that I'm healthy. They care that I move well. They care that I show up. But my kids have never once said, oh, dad, you're getting a little chunkier. Oh, dad, your abs are ripped. It, it, to me, I just want people to understand that like, look, I get taking care of ourselves is important. I get looking better will give us some confidence, but I, I don't believe and I've never experienced anyone that has got to that certain magical point and their life was, ah, I made it. What happens when I see is people get this whole body dysmorphia. I got it. I have it too. And I don't know where it comes from, but like, it's just never enough. Someone told me the other day, I said, uh, you know, it's like the day you start working out is the day you'll never be happy with how your body looks again. And I think that's pretty damn true because we're always in pursuit of something better. And, and so I, I also get now this day and age that social media is making it worse. All you see on social media are these perfect looking human bodies. Like everyone has abs. And I looked into this too and, and I found some crazy things. It is much easier to become a millionaire and there are way more millionaires in this world than there are people who have six-pack abs. I think there's something like 15 million millionaires in, in the United States and like 25,000 people or so that have abs, six-pack abs. It's super rare. Yet I watch people abuse themselves for a 90-day transformation and they get pissed off because they can't have abs. I, now it's like... Well, I just worked for the last 90 days. Why am I not a millionaire? What the hell is wrong with me? Like, we don't think like that. It's much easier to become a millionaire to have abs, but we all think we should look like that. And so I just, just I get it, and, and, and I understand it, and I do it too. I want to look a certain way. I mean, I kind of have to because I'm trying to get people to buy off on fitness, and you know, people say all the time, like, oh, I hire you because you look good. And, and I, so I get it, and there's a point to it. But I just want... I want to have some grace on myself. I want to take that pressure off myself. And I'm working really hard to take that pressure off myself. And the more I've taken the pressure off myself, the more grace I've given myself for how I look. And I stopped doing all these crazy, obscene, high-stressed things. These extremes, this extreme training, these extreme diets. I've stopped doing all that. I'm training way less. I'm eating way less extreme. And uh, my body, in all honesty, if I were to look back over the years, probably looks better than it ever has. And which is funny to me. It's like I just stopped putting that as the focus. My focus has just been around, I want to be able to show up every day at my son's football practice and be out on the field with my cleats on, running around, showing them. I want my daughter wants to go out and hit the volleyball around. I want to be able to go out and do it whenever she wants. I want to have great energy. That's what I want. And so I just to me, I found a deeper meaning to that. And what I work on a lot with clients is this reality of there's all this science now. Science says this, and science says that, and science says this, and here's this new biohack, and here's that. And the true, honest truth, if you want to create change in how you look, how you feel, I don't care so much about science. It's all over the place. The greatest coaches out that I've met, that I've learned, have figured this out. It's about behavioral modification. For example, I caught myself drinking too much soda and too many energy drinks, and I know that's bad for me, and it was affecting me. And I would tell myself, I'm not doing it today. And then I'd go do it. God damn, what's wrong with me? The next day, I'm not doing it today. By the end of the day, I'd be doing it again. So I finally looked at my son. I said, hey, son, for the next three months, I am not going to have a soda, and I'm not going to have an energy drink. If I do, I owe you $100. Are 
Are you down for that? He's like, yes. And then he says this. He goes, you know what, Dad? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go three months without a soda just like you. I said, okay, well, what's the penalty if you do? He goes, I don't know. What should it be? I said, you're going to do my laundry for a month. He's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, perfect. So we made it three months without doing it. Haven't had an energy drink since the day I made that bet with him because it was a behavioral modification. There was going to be some type of punishment. There were days I was in the 7-Eleven, about to open the door, having the contemplation of, I want an energy drink so bad right now. But is it worth $100 to give to my son and the, the glory and, the, and the, the pride he's gonna have knowing he beat me? No, so I shut the door. My metabolic reset, I get a lot of flack about it because science says it's bullshit, like one person said. And you know what? Maybe scientifically it doesn't get supported very well, but you know what I did with that plan? I used the behaviors of high-performing people and I changed them. You see, day in and day out, I work with some of the highest performers on earth, high-stressed, really busy people, and I got to see their habitual methods and how they live life, and there's a lot of commonality. What I learned is I could be more strict to them early in the day. And if I could get them to buy off early in the day, make some changes early in the day when the willpower is stronger, I can loosen the noose at night and make it easier for them at night and then switch things out. For example, the most dangerous time is between bedtime or between dinner and bedtime. That's when most people will break. Their brain's looking for things to calm down, all the comfort foods, the ice cream, the cookies, the sugar. So what I did, simple for the example for that was I gave them a different option. Most people think carbs are bad for you. I don't believe that. Science does not validate that. I just read a study, a year-long study. They had two groups of people. One group was on low carb. One group was on low fat. After one year, they both ended up about the same results. So many people think carbs are the devil because of science. But I figured out how to use carbs in a behavioral scenario with these high-stress people I was working with. I would just keep it low during the day and then give them a lot at night to bring the stress hormones down. It was a behavioral modification. It's just behavior creates so much of the change we're looking for. It doesn't have to be these extreme things. So if you want to be successful, I think you need to figure out, okay, what behaviors can I change? And then two, what is the deeper purpose for my fitness? Because if it is about trying to make yourself worthy, or to look a certain way to where people will love you or want to be with you or or whatever it is. It's never going to come. And I promise you, the better you look, the more nitpicky you're going to get. That's what I've noticed. The better people begin to look, if it's just about that, the more nitpicky they get. I think it needs to be a deeper purpose. And I think it needs to be about creating a better life. Take it from my father who lost the ability to use his body. And the fears he had around that, not being able to get on the floor to play with his children and they weren't going to remember him after he died. Use your body for something bigger and better than just a certain look. Start loving your body for what it's capable of. Start empowering yourself by getting stronger. Start Seeing your body as a purposeful unit that you can use to create a better life for you and the people that love being around you. One thing I learned from Driven for Life and their programs, and it's so funny because I was thinking about this as I was driving over here and I just read the letter from my dad and Mary, one of the the founders of Driven for Life, texts me 
and just sent me this amazing text message about something and just like, I, it blew me out of the water. I'm like, it's funny how things work. But um, just totally lost my train of thought because <laughs> I was trying not to break down and cry again. But look, oh, I remember what it was. You're valuable. And just who you are as the authentic real person that you are is the most valuable gift you have to give to the world. The facade that we create around who we think the world wants us to be, people see right through that. And I know facing that's really hard. But I challenge you, for the next 90 days, cut out all the things you're using to create that facade. It's the scariest thing you'll ever do, but it's the most powerful thing you'll ever do. Everything you're doing to create the facade of who you think the world wants you to be, cut it out. Stop drinking. Stop partying. Stop going out. Stop exercising so much because you think if you look better, people are going to feel you're more valuable. Cut back on that. We all know what we're doing to create that facade. And it took me losing everything and getting to the point where I had nothing else to do but to face it because that was it. I mean, everything was gone. Everything I used to label myself as something was gone. I had no other choice but to face it. But don't take six years like I did to face it. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Just, just all it takes is 90 days, I promise you. Uh, I finally did it after years. It just separated myself from the world and took 90 days and cut it all out. And uh, got to a point where I was super comfortable. And here's the thing I noticed about me. I knew when I was most comfortable, I could sit in a room by myself with no TV on, no music going, zero distractions, and actually love being in that environment. Last story I'll share to wrap this up. I was driving with my daughter, and I typically now drive with no music on, nothing playing. It's just silence. And she had her headphones on when I was taking her to volleyball. And she takes them off. She goes, Dad what's wrong with you? I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you're sitting here in silence. Like, put some music on or something. I was like, honey, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm really proud of myself that I can sit here in complete silence and be comfortable. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, honey, I, I used to, I went through some tough times and you know it and you saw it and, and, and I didn't want to be with my thoughts. And so I would do, use things like music or podcasts or anything to distract my thoughts. But I worked really, really hard to get to this place where I can sit here in silence and I enjoy it now. And there's so much peace for me in that now. And the need to get approval from people is gone. And thank God, right? Because when you start putting it out there in a scenario like a podcast or TV, like YouTube or anything like that, like you're going to attract some nastiness. And now I can look at it and just appreciate it because I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I don't really care what anyone else thinks about me now. Six years ago, I would have. Six years ago, someone would say something nasty about me. I would lose it, want to fight, want to argue because it, it was an at-risk thing to all the hiding I was doing and I was feeling exposed and I didn't want that. Now there's nothing to expose. So I hope my journey touches you in some way. Um, my experiences, I don't know where you are. I'm just kind of sharing my journey, what I've seen I know we're all very different, experiencing different things, but um, there's two things I can leave you with. One, you're valuable. The true, authentic you, underneath all the stuff you're hiding through, 
is incredibly valuable to this world. And those closest to you see it, love it, and know it. And it's so amazing what people see in you is very different than what we see in ourselves. So just ask people. Or if you're someone and there's people around you really care about, write them that letter, the greatness I see in you is, and just put it out there and see how it impacts them. And two, your body is one of the greatest gifts you have. It doesn't hate you. So many people think because of how it looks, it hates you. But in reality, if you don't like how it looks, it's protecting you. Our body's amazing at protecting itself from us and our habits and the way we live. If you don't like how your body looks, don't force it to change. Fix the things you're doing that are making it protect itself from you. Cherish your body. Stop hating it. It's a phenomenal gift. And get selfish. The most unselfish thing you can do is to selfishly take care of yourself. One last thing I forgot to share is that I have seen, and I've done this as well, I would begin to feel like I was being selfish because I would try to find time to take care of myself. I didn't have to, I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my clients. I got to do all these things. This is so selfish of me to want to take a break and go take care of myself. And, and that doesn't work out well either. The most unselfish thing you can do is to selfishly take care of yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. 